my overall sort of memory of my childhood and growing up is that I was absolutely encouraged. There was, I don't have any strong memories of like sexism of, of, oh, you shouldn't take that advanced math class or you shouldn't show off that you know how to solve that equation and go up to the board and do it. Like I was never like, oh, this boy isn't going to like me if I go up to the board and do this problem. It was like the opposite. It was like, this boy is going to think I'm cute and hot and smart because I went up to the board. (laughs) Totally. Welcome to Female of the Species, a podcast for the Sisterhood of Science. For this episode, we're joined by Dr. Hannah Carliner. I'm really excited to have Hannah uh, join us on the show. Hannah and I have known each other since we were in high school, um, and our paths have crossed off and on over the years. And so it's really wonderful to have you on the show today, Hannah. Thank you for having me, Phoebe. So why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Sure. Um, I'm an epidemiologist in a school of public health. Um, and my specialty is social and psychiatric epidemiology, which is, of course, jargony. So basically what that means is that I look at the social and economic factors that affect mental health and substance use at a population level. Um, so to, to think about epidemiology in contrast to something like medicine, a person goes into a doctor and says, I don't feel good, what's wrong with me? And the doctor says, okay, like, let's break down your systems and looks like it's diabetes or it's something with your heart or something. An epidemiologist goes and looks at an entire population and says, okay, there's some things wrong with this population. Where is it? Maybe it's among poor people or maybe it's among urban LGBT populations or maybe it's among um, upper class women living in Marin. which have higher breast cancer rates than like anyone else in the country. So you take you take the big picture view. Yeah, the population yeah. level, and then right. with the explicit purpose to to try to improve population level health and prevent uh, disease. Right. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks. <laughs> One of the reasons I'm excited to have you on the show is because what you do is totally different than what I do. Yeah. <laughs> super fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, as an academic. You know, you have to put up with lots of professional rejection. It's sort of just like a part of our lives. So when that happens to you, how do you uh, take care of yourself or how do you deal with it? Um, I guess I have a few different strategies depending on <laughs> time of day. <laughs> Whether or not it's socially appropriate to start available. drinking. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so if it's in the evening, definitely, like, pour some wine and sit down and watch TV and try to put it out of my head entirely. Um, But I have also sort of run crying from my house and gone Mm. over to the park near where I live and just like walked around the park (laughs) crying and calling either friends or family on the phone and and screaming about it and being that crazy person (laughs) in the park a little bit. Um, And then probably my favorite method is if, they are available is like going and finding a toddler to hang out with who just, and they just like completely get me out of my head and, and turn me into a toddler myself. So I think it's sort of the best head clearing laughter, um, total removal from my reality means of 
That's super smart. I should start trying to do that. It's true. When you're around small children, it's like everything is just about the immediate. It's not about the past. It's not about the future. Totally. And they just want to hang out with you and have fun, and they don't care, you know, how many publications you have. And it's like you go through their emotions with them. So so it's really, you know, consuming. And, and lucky, <laughs> well, I don't know, lucky me, but, like, I don't have a toddler of my own. So I get to, like, selectively <laughs> say now would be a good moment. And then you can hand them back. Yes. <laughs> be like, um. Yes, exactly. <laughs> parent, parent. <laughs> Time for wine. Kids watching TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? I am a coffee drinker, but it's interesting that you ask because I actually just did, um, I just completed a 30-day cleanse, like a detox cleanse. Oh, wow. Where I wasn't supposed to drink coffee. I did. I drank coffee a little bit, yeah. but I've, I've been on a tea kick, um, and it's been really delicious. And a friend of mine, her dad has this, say, or says about them, um, that coffee smells better, but tea tastes better. Hmm, which I think, yeah, right. That totally makes sense. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying both of them these days. It's nice. I also feel like it can be hard to get good coffee, um, especially. I mean, you live in New York, so but like in a big building, yeah. You know, like the stupid K cup things are just disgusting, yeah. and but a, a tea bag right. just tastes good. It's it's standard. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I am actually drinking tea right now, even though I'm usually a coffee drinker. You know, we can swing both ways. Yeah. It's okay. Totally. Good. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for thanks for the permission. Yeah. I tried to go a week without coffee last year, and I had to teach. Or I tried to go a week without caffeine entirely. Mm. And I was like, if I don't have a cup of green tea before I go do this lecture, it's going to be the worst lecture of my life. Yeah. And like, I cannot, I cannot bomb. This is like my job. Yeah. I did a juice <laughs> cleanse once and like the caffeine was the thing that was absolutely the hardest. Yeah, totally. To yeah. Get over. This was like a whole foods cleanse. Right. So I was eating like fruits and vegetables and whole, I was like, that was easy. Totally. But the caffeine, the caffeine was hard. I know. But since I could, mm-hmm. I was doing black tea on this cleanse. I like, oh, actually, well, when smart. I drank, I think I only did tea for like a couple of weeks and yeah. I had a cup of coffee and I was jittery until 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Yeah, you really feel it. You really crazy. feel it. I know. And that makes it sad because it's like, oh, I'm so immune to it now. Yeah. But, From an you know. epidemiological perspective, like, coffee's okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, there's studies like, no, it's the worst thing. No, it's the best thing. It's it's fine. So um, I talked to, our last episode was with an addiction researcher, uh-huh. Anne-Marie. Um, and she also told me that it was okay to be addicted to coffee. So I feel like I've now been blessed by an addiction researcher and an epidemiologist. And I'm a substance use <laughs> epidemiologist. Well, perfect. I'm so okay, glad so this she is just awesome. with me on that, that yeah. like, that's consensus. That's great. Yeah, good. So Hannah, what's something that you like about being a scientist? I, I have a few things. Um... One is, I think other people have said this, it's just like you meet amazing people and they're so curious and and smart and passionate and, you know, some of like the inside jokes that I've shared with my, with my science friends are like, you know, when my belly hurts at the end of the night laughing yeah, so yeah, hard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just really incredible people. And in public health, you know, I think this is, this is for me because it's applied, um, at least to some, like, even if I 
you know, most of the time sit in my ivory tower and publish studies that only 10 other people in the world will ever read, it's still theoretically applied. And so it's it's really curious, passionate people, but they're also thinking about like how to make the world a better place. So they tend to be really awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so that is great about it. Another thing I've been thinking about is like, this has happened a few times to me in the past year. I really like telling little girls I'm a scientist and it kind of like blows their mind because they have this weird yep. like cartoon understanding, which mm-hmm. is totally inaccurate. It's like mm-hmm. dude in a lab coat trying to... Yeah, with frizzy hair. With like trying to yeah. save the world from Martians or something. Right, right, right. right but like it's still, they're like, what? You're a scientist? I didn't think that actually existed. So yeah, I enjoy that a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, my friends all like to parade me around to their kids because they're like, Phoebe studies fossils. Oh, totally. And then then they find out that I don't study dinosaurs, and they're all totally disinterested. <laughs> well, that's not true. Most of them are disinterested. A couple of them are still interested, but most of them are like, oh. Mm. I haven't read a ton of books for fun recently, and actually I've been so consumed with like my free time going to like reading and listening to podcasts about the election that I just have not been doing any any book reading and I don't know what I'm gonna do afterwards that's like the opposite for me like I have been listening to audiobooks because I cannot listen to election news and god how do you how do you like keep your how do you go to sleep at night because <laughs> I listen to really cool podcasts okay. with people who are so reasonable I see that um and funny about yeah. it that they sort of you know they're preaching to my choir. Okay, good. Because I feel like even if I just watch the news or listen to NPR, yeah. I start having a panic attack. I can like feel my blood pressure rise. And if I go into work that way, because I have like a 15-minute drive to work, then yeah. I walk into work just feeling like tense and stressed out. I, I think this also, this isn't Trump-specific, though he he sort of takes it to the next level as with everything. But this whole trend of, like, not believing in science, just absolutely, like, not believing in facts. There was some interview I heard with Newt Gingrich, and he said, like, this thing, I don't believe in that. And And the reporter was like, no, that's not something you can believe in or not. It's a fact. And he was like, well, right. I, no, like, that's whatever. wrong. It's not, that's my opinion. Yep. And so just that, and then, and then Trump just takes it to the extreme by, like, actually lying about things and saying it's the opposite of this fact not even it's my opinion just you know obviously the people of color and women and everything it's degrading but it's like also feels degrading to me as a scientist of of like wow Mm -hmm. you just really you just don't believe Mm -hmm. in this yeah and that's it's really fascinating for me to think about how people get to that point yeah and as a teacher, is there anything that I could be doing with my students now that would make them feel like science and evidence is something that they want to think about and consider in their lives in the future? Yeah. And is there a way for you to convey it in a way that like they could bring that home to their families and say, right. look, mm-hmm. this is this is why science is not a belief system is different from yeah. that and this is what how we build up yeah. evidence and mm-hmm. yeah yeah did you have a shine theory person you'd put down a couple people yeah so i don't know i've been thinking a lot about it all of my i have 
a bunch of, of women, but none of them are in my field. And I think part of that is just that I'm so oh, that's okay. consumed with politics and just yeah. like, the social justice issues going on in our world totally. right now. So my women that I'm just like mind blown in love with this year are Beyonce, Samantha mm-hmm. B, Michelle Obama, and Hillary. Oh, you know what? Who I should add to that is that girl that got raped by that Stanford student. Oh, yeah. And then wrote that amazing wrote letter. that amazing letter. Oh, that letter was so badass. <sighs> um, and, but what did it do? Like, nothing. He still got off. Um, but, yeah. So I think, I feel like I'm sort of copping out because it's easier to choose women for shine theory that you're not actually, like, directly in competition with. Right, like I'm not competing with Hillary or Beyonce mm-hmm. in in my field, yeah. so That's I have really nothing but yeah. sort of admiration for them and pride in them and like go get 'em girl gusto for them. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it's a lot harder within science where sort of the nature of the beast, I think, can be very competitive and where you're just so judged by starting out with your grades. And then, you know, just your achievements and which schools you've gone to and where you get jobs and how many publications that you have. It's so um, quantified how to judge people professionally. But I think it's really hard to, to not feel competitive with your, even with your sisters in the field. And I think maybe that's more true for me because I'm in a female-dominated Yeah. Office. Yeah, although you could also argue, I mean, I think sometimes I feel like I'm more competitive with women in my mm-hmm. field because there's so few of them. So it's like, it's almost like we're fighting for yeah. a limited number of girl spots. Yes. You know, I think which for isn't me, true. I just, but... I, so it's different for me. It's just that most of the people I'm competing with are women. Are also women. Just yeah. because most yeah. of the people in my field, I don't know if that's true. That's less true the older they get, but but especially... My cohorts are very female dominated. Very female dominated. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think you make a really good point about um, the fact that it is easier to admire and look up to women like Beyonce and Hillary, right. who uh, we don't know, and we don't know their downsides. We don't know their bad sides, and we all we see is are the amazing things that they do and the amazing things that they accomplish. And they're both, like, super inspirational women. And I have no aspirations but... to be, like, an international superstar. Right. Right. <laughs> so, I, so there's nothing for me to feel like, oh, I wish I yes. was, you know, got a gig at the Super Bowl. <laughs> Let's switch gears and talk about your topic and the feminization of your field. Do you do you want to kind of like go into a little Yeah, sure. So so this is actually something that gets talked about. I think the sort of best examples of it come from medicine, where historically in the in the medical field, men were doctors, women were nurses. And there was just, you know, as has been documented in many movies and TV shows and everything else, there was this like incredible social sexual stratification and and power dynamics, you know, sort of madmen type type dynamics between the doctors right, right. and the nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but at some point, you know, women started started becoming doctors and then at higher and higher levels. Um, and so in that process, within the the fields of medical doctors, subspecialties started getting feminized. 
So for whatever reasons, women would go into obstetrics or dermatology or pediatrics or things like that. And it's very chicken and egg in how it happens. But like as those subspecialties become dominated by women, one, the men start leaving and the salaries go down. So I don't know, you know, what's sort of sort of similar to like a gentrification tipping point. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like at what point do the men say like, oh, I can't be a gynecologist. Right. This is a woman's not open to me anymore. Right, right, right. But then you can track like there are these lists of average salaries for orthopedic surgeons and radiologists and gynecologists and dermatologists and the male dominated professions make much higher salaries than the Hmm. female dominated professions. And all of them make much more than nurses. Yes, totally. Right. And and receive greater respect as sort of a right. social right. status issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is also interesting because nursing, like the philosophy of nursing is very different from the philosophy of medicine. And it's much more explicitly yeah. about like caring and patient Care. oriented. Right. And these sort of, you know, quote unquote, like female. Softer, more, f- mm-hmm. more female mm-hmm. associated traits. Yeah. yeah. So. So for me, you know, so I'm in public health, in epidemiology, and I actually work with really advanced math and statistics routinely. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, did some very high level statistics on my on my dissertation, and that's just what people in my field do. They're really right because you're mean, dealing with large data sets and complicated, trying to pull out complicated patterns and yeah, and yeah. and you know, trying to think about causation. Right. And it's actually really difficult. It's much easier to like, I'm going to put down the physicists here, but it's much <laughs> easier to be like, hey, I'm a physicist. I want to see if this causes that. And you just like put your things in a machine right. and you test, like, if I do mm-hmm. this, does that change? And like, we can't do that with human studies right. at the population level. Without getting arrested. Right. Like, you don't <laughs> want to say like, hey, I'm going to give this newborn cigarettes from until they're 20. See what happens. See if they yeah, develop right. cancer. <laughs> So it's actually like much more complicated how to disentangle these variables, how to measure the variables, and like how to determine causality. But because the topic is like this caring profession trying to mm. help people, I'm totally thought about as being a soft scientist. So are there like situations in which that has where people have made that clear to you, or does it just feel like a general like tone in your field? Um. Well, I remember. In college, um, I went to Stanford, and there's a lot of scientists there, and there was this, it was just a term of, like, are you a fuzzy scientist or are you a hard scientist or something? Like, that, it was something like that, and, like, that was just right. the term. So it's just sort of part of how it's thought. Like, biology was fuzzy unless you were doing maybe, like, really, like, lab molecular biology. Yeah, but I was doing yeah, interdisciplinary, yeah. so... It was more like combining anthropology and psychology, um, right. and that was fuzzy. And so there's just Super it's just yeah. blatantly demeaning, <laughs> right? Yes. yes. Um, well, because it's not said in a complimentary right, way, right. right? I mean, uh, right. I mean, I think fuzzy things are. Fuzzy. I mean, I like fuzzy things, but yeah, totally. <laughs> kittens, totally, puppies, totally. baby ducks. <laughs> you know. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, but so I just think it's. I can't think of any other sort of specific insults that I've received, except for just the general way that it's thought about. And I think 
what it relates to is whether girls are good at math or whether girls like math and mm-hmm. how do we get more women into STEM and into into these these professions that are more math oriented. And I'm like, we are. Like I look around at all my colleagues and we are doing serious science, but it's like we're not counted because we're not doing engineering. And so Interesting. So in all these like surveys and stuff, like it's like anyone who gets a PhD in psychology has done major statistics for their dissertation. Psychology is like predominantly female, but it's like it doesn't count on that list. And so even though I think that probably like little kids, if they know anything about psychology or health sciences or sociology or anything like that, like they wouldn't necessarily think, oh, a man is who does that job. They might very easily think a woman is who does that job. And yet, yeah, yeah. girls aren't good at math. Girls don't like math. Like, there's this there's this missing link between, look at all these girls who do math for a living. <laughs> <laughs> That's super interesting. So um, I pulled up some statistics from Catalyst.org, which does these, compiles long-term statistics from NSF and other places about uh, professions and gender in the United States. And so for field of doctorate, in the health sciences, 70% of those working in academia who have been working for 10 years or less, so younger people, are women. Wow. It's 62.5% for those working more than 10 years, so like a generation above us, yeah. basically. A generation and, above and, us, and uh, it's a it's a age effect as well as a cohort effect, or it could be. Yes, right, yes, yes, yes. And in engineering, it's 22.9% women for less than 10 years and 7.2% for more than 10 years. Wow. 7.2. Woo. That's low. So there are just multiple places along the trajectory where where people are dropping out. or yeah. and, and some of it is cohort effect. Some of it is like sure. how many women got an engineering degree in 1970. Exactly. That's right. And it was way fewer. Right. Yeah. The, so... Talking with you about this is making me think of what happened in computer science, which I've heard about from friends of mine in computer science and also read a little bit about. But basically, you know, computer science programmers started off as computers, like women who computed things. Right, there's that NASA and, story. Yes. Yeah. So I just read one of the books about um, the NASA computers. And then there's another book that just came out about black women who were computers for NASA yeah. called Hidden Figures. And that's a movie version of that is coming out really soon. And yeah. I'm super excited. I about just that. heard about that too. Um, it looks amazing. Yeah. And so they basically became the first programmers because they were the ones doing all of the calculations yeah. for, for NASA and other engineering firms um, in like the 50s and 60s and 70s. Uh-huh. And so in the 80s, like if you look at the numbers, there were a lot of women computer programmers and the men were sort of like on the hardware side of things, it's like so building computers. And then things totally shifted, right? I don't know, maybe, I don't know exactly when, probably in the 90s, I think. And now it's like programmers, right? Yeah. And there's this like whole completely different demographic of people coding and it's now considered a cool thing for guys to do. Yeah. And it wasn't considered a cool thing for guys to do in the 80s. That's so interesting. So it was seen as like secretarial work. Yeah, kind exactly. Of like, it was seen as like exactly. taking uh, like shorthand and That's like right. taking dictation. Yes. They were just they were just like 
plugging numbers into equations, basically, wow. at the beginning, you know. Even though they were, like, figuring out how to launch rockets. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Even though they were, like, literally putting people on the moon. Right. Right. <laughs> With pencils and paper. Right. Right. And then, and then as the first computers and calculators came into use, they were the ones who learned how to use them because it was their job to do these calculations. Wow. The salary one is so fascinating to me because it's like, how many little unconscious decisions have to be made? Like, especially now, I mean, it's not like men are sitting around being like, okay, she's a woman, so we're going to pay her, you know, 7% less and he'll get right. this because he's a man. That's like, Right. It happens. It's real. These patterns are real. And so it's just fascinating to me to think about like what's actually going on right. in those decision making processes. You know, and some of it's some of it's like negotiation, I know. Right. I just bought, got this book that I haven't actually started reading, yeah. but it's called Ask For It. And it's like specifically um, talking to women about how to negotiate. Um, because they talk about how part of the, the gender gap starts with your first job out of your terminal degree and that if you like right. women don't negotiate as hard yeah. and so they just start out at a lower salary which just makes their trajectory lower for the rest of their career yeah. so but it's also you know women find it really hard to sell themselves and really hard to say i am the awesomest and look at this thing that's I'm so bad at it <sighs> makes me so uncomfortable yeah Ugh. yeah I, I mean, it's in our nature. Like, I just went to someone's practice job talk the other day, and she couldn't do it. And we were all sitting there being like, do you realize how awesome you are? Like, do you yeah. realize how cool this research is that you've done? She's like, you're just saying that because you're totally, my friend. Totally. Like me. It's ingrained. It's really screwed up. But we also need to change men and, like, yes. telling, like, that men need to... I mean, I don't know what kind of negative feedback we get from being like, oh, do you realize how awesome I am? Oh, shut up. Like, let me female woman-splain for a while or whatever. Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. certainly negative feedback Definitely. that we would get from doing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, you know, studies showing that when women and men say or say the same things right. or act in the same way, the women are considered to be bitches right. and the men are considered to be leaders. Hillary! Right? And so I think... <laughs> Hillary, exactly. Yeah. And so I think we're, I'm certainly conscious of that, of not wanting to come off as being, uh, you know, cranky, nasty woman. Right. Right. Like, right. And I don't think my guy friends worry about that so much. No, I'm sure they, so, I'm sure they would be shocked to like. Yeah. And in fact, when they act that way, it's considered to be a sign of strength. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You know, always more to learn, always more good. To, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Good to be done, but also just, like, there's always more work to be done. So, like, we've talked a lot about, like, the work of, like, you know, women being represented in these fields and salaries being commensurate, and that is just, like, one piece of the work, right? Right, right, right. I mean, it's almost like, you know, feminism. Like, okay, for let's let's get equality for upper-class, middle-class white women. Um, and then it's, like... Knock, knock, what about the rest of us who have all of these other problems on top of yeah, being a woman right. and, and you don't understand us at all? So it's like you constantly have to That's right. broaden the net. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing of intersectionality, which is also something, a word that I was not familiar with until relatively recently, as I've just been reading more about yeah. these issues, stuff that I just didn't really think about in grad school, in part because I think in the physical sciences, these things just don't make it across our radar as much. Totally, totally. <laughs> but 
Right. But they should. They need to, right? It's not a good thing. Yeah. But there needs to be a venue for that to happen. I mean, there's so many things that we don't learn in grad school that would be relevant to our professional lives and our just, you know, what we should learn as a a human. Um, But, like, no, you're busy taking the classes that directly speak to what you're getting your degree in. They don't even teach us how to teach. I mean, never mind, like, teach us how to teach a diverse student body. Right. Oh God. Right. Of yeah. students who have different backgrounds than us, like. But the expectation is like, you're smart. Go figure it out. That's right. And you know, we we do. All right, Hannah, it was super awesome having you on. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. You're so welcome, Phoebe. I'm so excited that you're doing this. Congratulations on it. Female of the Species is produced by Tamar Abishai with help from Anna Seldinger. You can find us all over the internet. Head to femaleofthespecies.org to find out everything about the show. We're on Twitter at female of the SB. You can email us at femaleofthesb at gmail.com and you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Female of the Species. Female of the Species.